Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. This is The Roy Green Show podcast. Let's have a listen to what Kelly Leach had to say when she joined me, Conservative Member of Parliament, former junior cabinet minister in the Harper government, who rolled out the barbaric practices snitch line for which she's apologized. But as I said, Dr. Leach is now creating national headlines as she insists if she wins the leadership of the CPC and is elected prime minister, she'll have that policy in place to screen immigrants for anti-Canadian values. She says it's not about Muslims, although Dr. Leach has spoken about Canadian values not allowing for stoning of people based on who they love. That's been interpreted, along with other statements made by her, as being aimed at Muslim immigrants. Um, so let's have a listen now, and then I'll run some numbers by you, and we'll include your phone calls. Let's have a listen to the conversation I had last Sunday with Dr. Kelly Leach about this issue of Canadian values and how she would put it in place and apply the Canadian values principle that she espouses to newcomers to Canada. Listen. If we had a system in this country where we had actually annual referenda, which would only be placed on the ballot if a sufficient percentage of Canadians felt they deserved to be there, and then were voted on by the population, and the population uh, would hold sway over government. In other words, we by majority say, this is what we want, so you, the government, have to follow our lead. If that were the case, you could potentially take your program, your platform, uh, to establish whether newcomers to Canada have Canadian values or support Canadian values or not. You could take it to Canadians, and by majority, they could decide. What do you think? <laughs> well, I, I think it's an interesting uh, proposition, uh, Roy, and I think that Canadians uh, would enjoy having that referendum because, as I've been hearing across the country, the, the supermajority of Canadians agree from coast to coast that this is an issue they want to talk about. They want to talk about having a core, unified identity as Canadians and about Canadian values. And I, I appreciate you raising this because it also lets me tell you about something I'm concerned about. And that concern is that, you know, our Prime Minister stated that there is no core identity, that the Canada has no core identity. And I believe the Prime Minister is mistaken and is playing a dangerous game by denying a unified Canadian identity based on Canadian values. You know, the Liberals are increasing immigration levels for refugees and, uh, and regular immigrants. And I think more immigration is fabulous. It's part of what's built our country. I'm pro-immigrant. But they have the immigration minister talking about divisions amongst liberals themselves on this issue and, and talking about integration. And quite frankly, how can you talk about integration when you don't know what you're integrating new immigrants into? If the PM believes there's no core Canadian identity, then what exactly are we integrating new immigrants into? So uh, I hear every day from Canadians about the existence of a unified Canadian identity based on core values. And I believe those values are what have made us the greatest country in the world to live in, the reason why people want to come here. And you can't integrate someone who believes that women are property or, or gay should be stoned. You just simply cannot integrate that person. That's what I'm talking about. And uh, we have real solid Canadian values, and I'm looking forward to having that conversation about the unified Canadian identity. Well, it's definitely a conversation people want to have, and you know that, and I know that, because I do this for a living, talk radio, and I've been hearing this populist rumble for years now. It's just gotten really loud recently, and we saw it on uh, in, in full display 
and the Brexit vote, and then try to say, mm -hmm. well, it was only the old people who decided, or it was only the people over here who wanted that. It's only those people. So they tried to try to um, inject all sort of negatives, but the final number was, we want out of the EU, and that was the referendum process. We've used it in this country. The Charlottetown Accord, was that not a decision referendum? made by... <laughs> by Canadians? What about last, wasn't it last year? Didn't we have an election? Wasn't that a referendum? By Canadians. By Canadians. Choices. So what am I supposed to object to here? I, what, what's wrong with what you're suggesting? Brian Mulrooney doesn't like it. Kevin O'Leary has written you off. What am I supposed to, what am I supposed to object to here? Look, uh, Mr. Mulrooney can have his opinion. Mr. O'Leary can have his, but... I have mine, and I think uh, I sound like the majority of Canadians, which is we want to have this conversation. We want to have this conversation about what it means to be Canadian, our core Canadian identity. And as I say, it's it's disturbing to me that the Prime Minister stated that there is no core identity to this country. I believe there is. And I think that we should be having that robust discussion with Canadians. They want to have it. They've overwhelmingly talked about it. You know, and, and as I say, we, we then, on the other hand, have the Liberals talking about, in the case of the immigration minister, integration, and I don't know what they want to integrate immigration, immigrants into when they don't have any core Canadian identity. Um, you can't integrate a, a person who uh, believes in uh, their their wife as a piece of property into uh, into anything if you don't believe in anything. So are, are you, I'm looking are you, forward to the conversation. Dr. Leach, are you aiming this at Muslims? Not at all. You know, uh, this has nothing to do with being anti-Muslim. This has everything to do with what we are as Canadians. People who care about a core identity with certain values that have made our country what it is today. And one of those core values is religious freedom. You know, I'm pleased to live in a country where freedom of worship is once you sit, so long as each chooses that form of worship freely, is a core Canadian value, and it ought to be celebrated. And for the Prime Minister to deny that we have a value structure here, I think is dangerous. You know, whether you're Muslim, Jewish, Christian, here in Canada, you can freely worship. Women can choose to attend mosques freely in Canada to worship the religion they choose, follow their customs and beliefs, and whether well, it's the Orthodox... Did, how, how, would your, how would your plan work? So, you know, somebody wants to come into the country, somebody's doing all the right things, following all the procedures to get into the country legally... Now, where does your where does your, uh, your 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 process, your plan, your policy kick in, and how does it work? Well, I, I've been asked this question a fair amount, and I will get to talking about the process. Uh, right now, though, we've heard that the government has a new plan for immigration. I'm looking forward to seeing the details on that, and I think along with my fellow conservatives and fellow Canadians, we're looking forward to welcoming new citizens into the country so that we can all work together to build a, a better and bright future. But, but, but you, but you, have, a, but but you me, have a plan. But you have a plan, exactly. Dr. Leach. Shouldn't you have the application of that plan in place? Yeah, and so what I'm doing right now is I'm out talking with folks. We've, we're putting together, we have a, a process that we'll be announcing, but I'm waiting to see what the Liberals will be bringing forward, their new plan for immigration so that I can test against that. And then whether it be November or December, I'm not sure when the Liberals are coming forward with their plan. We'll come forward with our process okay. shortly after that. Now, you're, you're, no, you know you're going to be called a racist if you haven't already. Scott Reed in his Ottawa Citizen column wrote that your screening of newcomers for Canadian values, quote, she is waltzing into a moral swamp 
where raw prejudice is normalized and bigotry can hide in plain sight. End of quote. You know, Premier's win in Couillard of Ontario and Quebec last year suggested any Canadians who questioned the screening methodology for Syrian refugees by the federal government were racist. That earned win an instant and stern rebuke from uh, Ujald Assange, the former Liberal Premier of British Columbia, who's a who's an immigrant himself, and as far as uh, um, uh, Scott Reid is concerned, he once said of Canadians, I think when Prime Minister Harper uh, said you get $100 uh, per month per child, you give that to Canadian parents, they'll just blow it on popcorn and beer. So talk about having some uh, weird weird, weird uh, view of life. But oh, Look, I, I, I understand the compulsion of some people to call me names or put me in a certain, paint me in a certain way. But it's just simply not true. It's not fair. The fact of the matter is, is that... No, but we live in an era where... Dr. Leach, we live in an era where throwing labels at people is just the way they do things. It's the way it's done now. It's it's easy. (laughs) I appreciate that it may be easy, and that's why I'm going to keep talking about this item, a unified Canadian identity and Canadian values because Canadians care about it. And I'm confident, you know, with the support of people like yourself and others, that we will punch through and the Canadians will engage in this dialogue, which is so essential to the country. You know, I have a fundamentally different approach to this. I believe as a Canadian that we have a core identity, and that's fundamentally different than the prime minister of our country. So there's the core of the conversation that I had with Dr. Kelly Leach last Sunday on this issue of her policy yet to be unveiled in detail on uh, how newcomers, immigrants to Canada, would have to be satisfied somehow the uh, the plan that she's going to develop in more detail that uh, they support Canadian values. Now, clearly, she's waiting for the most opportune time to roll out the plan and, and do it in such a manner that it's, again, politically opportune to Dr. Leach and her campaign to become leader of the Conservative Party, and then ultimately Prime Minister of Canada. You're listening to The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML. What about American values? When we look to the South, Charlotte, North Carolina this week, became the latest U.S. city where protest and rioting took place over police shooting of an African-American man. Last year, scenes in Baltimore caused comparisons to 1968 in the United States. I had the opportunity last year at that time to speak with James Hamlin. He's a small business owner. He owns a, a bakery in uh, in Baltimore. And Mr. Hamlin left a strong impression on me uh, on, on the his wise counsel and his view of the world. He understands because he was there in 1968. He's still there in 2016 now. Mr. Hamlin, thank you very much for, for taking the time. Uh, to to talk to us and and on your the avenuebakery.com website you have a page titled the community and and you write quote it's only fitting that we make sure today's generation and those that follow understand this community is ground zero of the battle has that has given them the rights they enjoy today what do you mean by that well, one of the things that most folks don't realize is that the center of the civil rights movement was right here in Baltimore. And this particular community, historic West Baltimore, was the center of that civil rights movement. I mean, King came here to counsel with 
Reverend Bascom and some of the pastors here, uh, of which he attended uh, seminary school with. Uh, Thurgood Marshall was from here, uh, our first uh, Supreme Court justice, and certainly uh, the one that uh, tried the uh, uh, Brown versus Board of Education. Uh, I mean, there's so much history that we have in this community, and a lot of folks don't know. This is the most historic African-American community in the country. What's and going on? Dating back to the War of 1812, even, when we had more free blacks here than any place in the country. How do you assess what's going on in the United States now? You and I talked about Baltimore last year. Since then, there's been Dallas. I'm, I'm not going to go through the entire list, but there's been a list. Yeah. Charlotte, uh, North Carolina, uh, this week. What's happening in, in your country now? What's going on? I, 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 if my thought process is that, first of all, I, I just wanted to address the riots in Baltimore uh, uh, last year versus the 60s, which is a far, far cry uh, from, it, it was a heck of a difference between the two. And certainly the riot that took place in Baltimore wasn't as big as the media uh, portrayed it. Uh, and, uh, but when you talk about the the young black men that are being killed by police unarmed, uh, keep in mind that for years and years and years, some of these things have been going on and have been suppressed, uh, uh, not brought to the surface, and now you have mass media, you have instant cameras, you have so much uh, communications that you didn't have years back and so things are uncovered quickly and uh, certainly the community gets emotional over what takes place and in some cases rightfully so uh, because we in the african-american community have known these things happen within our community for years and uh, finally they, they, they come to the surface but beyond that you have to look at some of the communities where these uh, things are taking place. And some of the communities, and it appears to mostly urban areas, uh, not, not really, but the places, certainly in Baltimore, for an example, is a community that was a thriving community in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, and early 60s, but for over 50 years, the communities have been abandoned uh, and economically uh, negatively impacted and uh, so that has a lot to do with it and if we're going to change what's going on in our communities uh, we have to change the environment uh, we have to change the movement and back in the 60s and the 50s and uh, uh, up to the 70s, you know, the civil rights movement was a national movement amongst African-American folks. Uh, but today, the movement, in my estimation, should be an economic movement. And you got to understand that uh, the economy has totally changed. Uh, back when I grew up in the community, uh, getting a job wasn't difficult. If you even if, if you didn't finish school, 
uh, you had an opportunity still to get a labor job that that still allowed you to uh, support your family, and that doesn't exist anymore. Uh, you know, as you may or may not know, uh, cities across the country, uh, states are trying to implement uh, increases in minimum wage. Right. Uh, and uh, so, to me, all of this, a lot of this, is economically driven. Mr. Hamlin, would it be would it be okay if we call you periodically between now and uh, November the eighth and ask for your assessment of how the election's going and how things are going in your country? Would that be okay? Well, that's okay. All right, because I because I, I, I have I to I have to stop we, now because we've okay. we've reached the end of the hour. But okay. I would I would like the opportunity to speak with you further because you made some you made really an incredible impression uh, on on me and on many of the listeners last year when we talked about. Uh, what was going on in Baltimore, and I really would appreciate the opportunity to speak with you again between now and the uh, 8th of November. Okay, that's fine. Thank you so much for your time today. You're welcome. James Hamlin, Hamlin Bakery in uh, Baltimore, Maryland, and he's right in the middle of where the, um, the unrest was, the rioting took place last year. You're listening to The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML. Now, we're going to start, though, with my friend Toby Condliffe, and I've been talking to Toby since 2008 about American politics, when he was a superdelegate for the Democratic Convention. And if I recall correctly, Toby, in 2008, you were supporting Barack Obama, not Hillary Clinton, right? That's right. And this time around, you began by supporting Senator Sanders. That's true also. So here we are today. And some of the polling, some of the national polling in the United States, not all of it, but some of it shows or suggests that Donald Trump has either drawn alongside Hillary Clinton or maybe slightly ahead of Hillary Clinton. How do you assess what's going on in the, in the race in the United States? And that, that number of 110 or 111 million Americans tuning in, that's just massive Roy, in addition to the 100-plus million Americans that will be listening, there will be millions of of Canadians listening because this is a vital uh, election for Canadians as well. I I think Hillary, uh, in in my view, uh, has lost some momentum. Donald Trump has uh, come on strong. They've hit. His attacks on her trustworthiness have been effective, uh, and I'm quite worried about this debate because she is leading, still leading in this election, uh, according to the polls, whether they're national polls or state polls. Uh, But as the leading candidate, she has the most to lose. If the election were held today, I believe she'd win. Uh, And... If she does really well in this debate, she'll win by more. But if she stumbles or if Trump is is particularly effective, uh, it could be a lot of trouble for her. Now, the, so, the Rasmussen National Poll has uh, Trump marginally ahead of, uh, of Clinton, I think four or five points, but that's close to the margin of error. What, what I'd like you to speak to is just the attitude of uh, of. of of Hillary Clinton, I I just find her to be. It seems that she's becoming very concerned. That when she shouted, was it yesterday or the day before? Why am I not fifty points ahead? And she looked really angry, Toby. 
Well, I think a lot of uh, Democrats, a lot of Americans are angry because uh, Trump is probably, although he's reflected a lot of the uh, feelings of Americans, he is one of the least prepared people ever to run for president, certainly in the modern era. Uh, and if I can take one second to get in my commercial, it's very important for Americans in Canada to vote and they can register. It's not too late by going to votefromabroad.org and register to vote. Whichever way you're voting, please register. Always important. There's about a million Americans living in Canada who have the right to vote in the United States. But but back to the, sort of the, the vibe that you're getting from Hillary Clinton. It's not one of confidence and and it's not one of assuredness she looked almost panicked uh, when it came to that statement that question she asked and it was uh, union members she was almost demanding they get out and they get out the vote for her why am i not 50 points ahead that's not i mean i i when, when you look at what's going to happen on monday night and if she's got that kind of worried uh, appearance now how she presents herself on Monday night, as you point out, is going to be critically important to her. Well, I, I, I certainly agree. And, and uh, another reason I'm worried about the debate on Monday is because uh, Trump has much more television experience than she has. Uh, his uh, reality show, I mean, he, he's a master at uh, playing to the cameras. But she's been uh, on TV a lot, Toby. She's had a tremendous amount of media exposure well, in 30-odd years in public life. Yes, she has, but it's mostly been, uh, uh, it, it hasn't been the, the same way that Donald Trump has been in front of the camera. What's the he, argument, what's the argument for Hillary Clinton? What's, what's the argument, the most solid argument you put forward? I mean, you were a Senator Sanders supporter. There's a lot of thinking among some Democrats, and I've, I've heard this, I heard this as early as this morning, when, the, when I heard a, the head of a super PAC of, of Demo, usual Democrat voters now voting for Trump, making the case that they feel that she stole that convention from Senator Sanders. They're not about to forgive her. Well, I, I think they should. Uh, I think the contrast between the two candidates is dramatic. And to sit on the sidelines or to vote for a third-party candidate uh, is to abdicate. Either Trump or Clinton will become the next president. Yeah. And if you care which one it is, you should vote. What impact would a Clinton presidency have on this country? I think it would be very positive. It would uh, help cement the Affordable Care Act. In Canada, we enjoy national health insurance. Trump has said he's going to dismantle uh, the health care in the United States. Uh, I think it's very important to improve it, not dismantle it. Uh, I think that uh, Hillary Clinton understands the world situation far better than Donald Trump, who has business interests in many places in the world, which would conflict with his duty as president. Uh, so I, I definitely think that it's uh, it's vital that uh, well he wouldn't uh, he wouldn't be continuing with his business interests if he became president of the United States. He's already said that his kids and others would take over the business empire. One of the things that is brought forward on a regular basis is the experience that, that uh, Secretary Clinton has uh, politically, and she brings that up a lot. The President uh, Obama does as well, but this is the same team 
which had clear opportunity in 2009 to help the green movement in Iran topple the Ayatollahs. And they were trying to get that done, the people in Iran. But instead, President Obama, Secretary Clinton, refused to provide any support to the people fighting to overthrow the despots in Tehran. That's the sort of thing that I almost expect Donald Trump to be bringing up on Monday. Well, uh, I think a lot of people are puzzled what, whether, what he's going to bring up on Monday, whether he'll be the bombast that we've uh, seen on many occasions or whether he'll be gentle. Uh, it's very hard to predict how he'll behave. Yeah. How surprised will you be? Final question. How surprised will you be morning of November the 9th? And we don't know what's going to happen between now and the night of November the 8th. But based on what we know now, how surprised would you be? I know you'd be disappointed, but how surprised would you be if you woke up November the 9th and you knew that Donald Trump was United States president-elect? I think I'd be very surprised. I think at the end of the day, I believe the American people uh, will... uh, see the difference for what it is. I think that women, minorities, uh, immigrants, uh, I think Donald Trump may win the the male white vote, but I think Hillary Clinton will win the election. And I'd be shocked if, if she doesn't. So Trump gets the deplorables and she gets the rest. <laughs> I wouldn't put it that way. <laughs> Toby, I always appreciate uh, talking to you. Thank you so much for the time. Well, thank you for having me. You're listening to The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML. Now, joining me, and I'm moving along quickly because I have to fit everything in, Paul Levinson is Professor of Communications and Media Studies at Fordham University in New York. He's the author of McLuhan in an Age of Social Media, providing a McLuhan-esque analysis of Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. How do you not give yourself a headache? Well, not only do I not get a headache, I love it. It's a lot of fun yeah. uh, understanding how a miscreant like Trump can be doing so well and also understanding how, for different reasons, Hillary uh, is doing so well. And actually about Trump, it's because he has no position. He, he has no content. He's a candidate who's all medium and no content. That's why he changes his positions all the time. Tell me this, Professor Levinson. What is it... Why are 111 million people going to be, get engaged 9 o'clock on, on Monday evening? The, the, most, the, the, the biggest number previous to that, as far as a presidential debate was concerned, was I think 80.4 million, Reagan versus Carter, 1980, and that was all television. Right. Well, bear in mind, that was a very different time. Back in the 1980s, you had you know, 80 million people watching Dallas also. So television was the only game in town. Right. Nowadays, television is very different. It doesn't have anything close to that ratings for most things. You know, the nightly news is lucky if it gets 9 or 10 million. Yeah. But there are events like the Super Bowl which still show people tune into their television sets. And I'm thinking and you know, predicting that this first debate between Hillary Clinton versus Donald Trump is such an event because so many people have their hopes set on one or another candidate for very different reasons. And so many people are eager to see them one-on-one that uh, this is really must-see television. Now, will there be an interaction 
I know there will be, but to what extent will there be an interaction between social media and conventional television watching? So you're sitting in front of your TV, or you're listening to the debate online on our chorus radio stations, and you've got your phone or your or your laptop, and you're on social media at the same time. How much interaction is there going to be? An enormous amount of interaction. There are going to be millions of tweets, maybe tens of millions of tweets generated literally minute by minute, second by second during the debate. And that's another thing that's going to make this debate so attractive, because really for the first time in history, you could do it a little maybe in 2012 or 2008. Before then, there wasn't even any social media. So here in 2016, the debate is not only on television, it's on social media, and people can give their views about what's going on, tweet it to the world, tell their friends what they're thinking. That's a very different ball game than just sitting back passively and watching something on television. That's exciting stuff. Paul, thank you for the time. Always good talking to you, sir. Same here. Take care. My friend Paul Levinson, professor of communications and media studies at Fordham University in New York. He's the author of McLuhan in an Age of Social Media, providing a McLuhan-esque analysis of Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. You're listening to The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML. Well, uh, he did say, he being the Prime Minister of Canada, Justin Trudeau, he did say that he was going to help the middle class, right? That's what he said during the election campaign. I'm going to help the middle class. What we didn't know was who exactly in the middle class he was going to help. And what we didn't know was by how much he was going to help certain members of the middle class, like Butson Telford. I love this line. I just love this line. This is going to be framed. It's going to go into my uh, reading room in the house. While the rules were clear and we followed them, we both know that's not always enough. In the interests of living the government's and Team Trudeau's values of transparency and accountability, we are releasing a breakdown of both our family's eligible expenses, refusing or refunding payment for a significant portion of them, and taking full responsibility for the whole series of events that led to this point. Oh, where are those little bags that airlines hand out? Well, that's Butts and Telford, and then today there was or yesterday, Elder Marquez, the um, chief of staff for the innovation minister, Navdeep Baines, Elder Marquez received 103997 in expenses for moving. And uh, he's given back 22467 <laughs> But I'm, I'm keeping about 80 grand. And uh, Joseph Pickrell is—he's just the—he's uh, just the media voice for Stefan Dion, and he's given back thirty-two thousand one hundred and thirty. So, my goodness me, my goodness me, Mr. Butts move one hundred twenty-seven thousand bucks, and uh, Ms. Telford's move eighty thousand three hundred. It is time for an extended version. Of Beauties and the Beast. And at the other end of the phone line, they are ready, they being, the former parliamentary seatmate to the Prime Minister of Canada, Michelle Simpson, 
Actually, sounds like you're Prime Minister of Canada, which you should be. Hello, Michelle. <laughs> no, but yikes. But yikes. <laughs> it was like, it's yikes. Yikes. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good starting word. And then there's, um, let me see, there's Linda Leatherdale, the former money editor of the Toronto Sun, independent business journalist. You see nothing wrong with 127000 bucks to move from Toronto to Ottawa and then say to the taxpayer, here, 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 this is for you, here, here, here's the bill. Totally disgusting. 127000 Totally disgusting. 127000 I moved from the eastern townships of Quebec to Ontario for 3300 bucks, <laughs> And that was an 18-wheeler and two guys. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. You know, Senate scandal and now this. I mean, you come on. You were. You wish it were. And then there's the always shy and retiring um, potential, potentially senator. She was offered senator's seats <laughs> by 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 different prime ministers and has been described as the most powerful woman in Canada. Catherine Swift, so 127000 for Mr. Butts, 80000 odd for Ms. Telford, and then all the rest of the money. And you know what, Catherine? This is the best part. Honestly, this is the best part. While the rules were clear and we followed them, we both know that's not always enough. In the interest of living, the government's and Team Trudeau's values of transparency and accountability. <laughs> and right about then is where I look for the little brown bag. It's it's pretty unbelievable. But I, having dealt with government for many, many moons, as you know, and, and I know my colleagues have as well here, uh, it's a culture issue, period. And, you know, Trudeau himself set the tone when he took three bazillion people to Paris for that farcical, you know, climate thing. And you saw bureaucrats, you know, charging hundreds and hundreds of dollars for a meal and booze and, you know, everything else. It, 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 the fish rots from the head down. And, you know, and then they went, to, they went to Washington. Also a big slew of people, including his in-laws, for goodness sakes, and on and on and on, on the taxpayer's dime. When people see the kind of culture that says, you know, disrespect taxpayer dollars, because that's exactly what this is, then they follow that culture. And, and boy, it doesn't take long. I've sat on a few government boards and stuff over the years, and I'm sure Michelle will back this one up, and, and, I've, and I've been the skunk at the garden party, because they'll go out for this lavish dinner on taxpayers, say, after their all-day meeting at some pricey, pricey restaurant. And I was always the one going, this is wrong, this is wrong. And of course, they all wanted to kill me, just like they wanted to kill Michelle when she brought up the waste and you know, you have to put this at the door of the leader. I'm sorry, you do, because yeah. they set the tone, and this is, this is, and I'm not saying these individuals aren't, aren't, you know, totally responsible. They are. But that's who sets the tone. Catherine, they had a year, right? Well, that's the other they thing. I mean, year. the laughable thing. They had a year. Do you think for a minute we And, and I want to, I just want to, I just want to go back to this line. I want to go back to this line. In the interest of living the government's and Team Trudeau's values of transparency and accountability, yeah, can you not be honest at some point? <laughs> because that's the, that's the accountability we're dealing with here. Can you not be honest at some point? Michelle, when I was on the, uh, on, on the advisory board for Correctional Service Canada yes. for the, uh, for the uh, previous, for the Harper government, I'll tell you, I had, to, I had to get breakfast on the way over there because they didn't even have any coffee. 
Uh, well, the first meeting I went to, they had a little bit of, you know, some Tim Hortons donuts and coffee. Second one, we had to bring all our own breakfast foods or we wouldn't have eaten all day. You know, Roy, um, I feel left it out. really and truly, they, di- they didn't have a tin ear, the conservatives. But for some reason, and this has been the, the catchphrase, the kryptonite for the liberals is this type of thing. And it truly is. Yeah. And to use the Duffy defense throughout this whole thing, disgusted me because that's what it was well the rules were there we had to we had to follow the rules as if they were forced to that i found disgusting and i really did this from this from the woman who was told you will not speak in parliament anymore the province of ontario and and you know their legacy is that it, it continues to be in the tank big time in so many respects so I guess we shouldn't be shocked here that this is, uh, you know, this is the prevailing sentiment. These are people that have done this and got away with it for years. And by the way, it's true the rules were, you know, the rules were such and such. But the Harper government, and granted, they did a lot of dumb stuff too. I'd be the first to admit it. But they put a cap. So yes, the rules were there, but they put a cap on moving expenses. This would never, a hundred grand plus would never have been permitted to happen under those circumstances. Here's a question I want to ask all three of you. When the Toronto Star runs yesterday their banner headline with the two worst offenders from the Prime Minister's office and a huge banner, we are sorry. Yeah. So, (laughs) if, if, if you truly believed you could defend that stuff, what are you sorry for? Well, there was quite a few journalists. I, I go back and forth with a lot of them on Twitter, and, and I saw quite a few going, oh, well, they, oh, they came clean and all this. Yeah, oh. like almost a year later? Come on, people. Do you know? They came clean, clean just, because clean. of the order paper. Okay, can I ask God you guys a question? The order paper. Yeah, I'm really. going to ask you guys a question. What does the average family of four live on in this country in a year. What's the gross what's the gross salary, average salary for the family uh, for? Uh, 50, 60, 60 grand. 60? Yeah, about 50 yeah. grand. Uh, average, yep. yeah. That's before taxes. That's the gross. Oh, that's right. Okay. And then when you get taxes, there's nothing left. That's why they're living Well, we know we pay on average 43% of our income on taxes, more than we pay combined on food, clothing, you know, shelter, yeah. etc. This is just outrageous. And this is and frankly, <laughs> you know, you <laughs> When governments say they can't afford things, I mean, I just want to get that brown bag that you were talking about, Roy. Oh, I know. They, they piddle money away right, left, and center. We don't have money for this. We don't have money for that. And yet, boy, they sure have money to line their own pockets. Yeah. Just appalling. And then they take care of their friends as well, because we know that the Ontario government gave $22 million to teachers unions and support unions and asked for no accountability whatsoever on what they spent the money on. Yeah, twenty two well, we million. Mirror, though, Canadians, you're electing these governments. Let's uh, smarten up. Either that, or manufacture airbags for those of us that are on the ground. You know, I keep <laughs> thinking about you, Michelle. Well, but I mean, Linda, you've made a case, as as we all agree, for gosh knows how long now, for transparency, transparency, transparency. Yeah. And when this comes up in the House of Commons, every single political party, every one of them fights it. Mm-hmm. And and shame on them. Uh, th- this should be ensconced. One, so that previous, your person, one previous one didn't. 
Yes, well, you're right. You're right. That would make sense. We should all be able to go online, should we feel so okay. you know, inclined, and find out what these people are spending. Time out. Absolutely. Time out. Okay. Time out. I have to take a break, but I just want to remind everybody there's one person present who was transparent, mm-hmm. yes. who was clear, who was clear with each and every Canadian about what she spent as far as expense spending was concerned. And, was and she was punished. Her trouble. She was punished by her party. She was gagged in Parliament, and she was ostracized by the rest of the move. You're listening to the Roy Green Show weekends from two to five on AM 900 CHML. Some extended Beauties on the Beast with Catherine Swift, WorkingCanadians.ca, Michelle Simpson at Michelle Simpson on uh, Twitter, and uh, at Linda Leatherdale at L Leatherdale on Twitter as well for Linda Leatherdale. And with us now is Mayor Hector McMillan from Trent Hills in Ontario, the mayor who's been on this program quite a bit recently. And uh, you know his story. He's fighting pancreatic cancer, and uh, he needs that IRE nano knife surgery that is available in Kentucky for $300,000. Province of Ontario said, we're not going to pay for it. We've talked to the mayor about that. Uh, he gave up on the OHIP process because it just wasn't working, and uh, we, we're going to talk about that a bit now. And the mayor is heading off to Germany, where the same surgery, heck, is going to cost, what, 32000 Approximately, yes. And I'm so glad you're going to be able to get this. Uh, it's going to happen for you, and uh, that's all set up, right? It's all set up. I, I can't believe I'm, I'm going to say to you, I can't wait to dive on to the surgeon's table. <laughs> I'm so, I'm, I mean, we're all happy for you that, that this yeah. is. But let me introduce you to um, your constituent, a former Liberal Member of Parliament, Michelle Simpson. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Hector. You're my mayor. That's wonderful. I live just outside the village of Hastings, right on the Trent River. I know right where you are. I, I think I know your husband well. Oh, okay, good. And Catherine Swift, former chair and uh, president of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business, workingcanadians.ca, who turned down Senate offerings by you know consecutive prime ministers, I think. Catherine, the mayor... Hi, Hector. We've been we've been back and forth on Twitter, so I feel I know you a bit. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't social media wonderful? It is. Yeah. And Linda Leatherdale, former money editor of the Toronto Sun, vice president of Cambria Canada. Now, Linda, Mayor Heck. Uh, I my heart goes out to you. I am here in Winnipeg with Ronnie Hawkins, who beat pancreatic cancer. My daughter's a cancer survivor twice, so my heart is with you, Hector, as you go down this ride. Um, there's uh, sometimes really good news at the end, so I'm with yep. you. Thanks, Linda. We, you you forgot me. We we go nine tenths of the way back, back when we were fighting impact <gasps> and uh, our group oh, from, my... from the municipality. I love it. My days as a rebel tax crusader, and you're on all. Oh, you got my heart <laughs> big time. <laughs> so yes, so beauties. I'm going to step out of the way and have you speak with Hack. Well, first of all, Roy, I want to. You're incredible how you fought back. We fought these fights where people could not get whole hip coverage, and we won. But now you're having to go. Look at the high taxes we pay in this country, Hector, and you're having to go out of the country to get um, surgery that you need to save you. Uh, What kind of statement is this? 
Well, the, well, the other thing is, you know, I, I was looking on Twitter, and there was a, actually a doctor who was holding forth on uh, the Canadian healthcare system, how badly it sucks, and said it was underfunded. We pay more per capita than most countries around the world, and certainly more than a lot of European countries. And we, we have a structure that seems to be, you know, and a lot of Canadians think, oh, we have this wonderful health care system. We do not. And, and, Hector, you're a classic, sadly, a very classic example of that. But yeah. good on you for making it so public. Because Canadians, mm-hmm. they don't know any better. It's, it's awful. We could do so much better with less money, but we're not doing it because of dumb governments. It's so true. Um, the, the, the thing about all of this is there's a thousand people just like me in Ontario alone every year a thousand wow and for them and for them hector no more than they did for you they will not pay for the pancreatic ire surgery the only thing i would i would say is i would leave the politicians out of it they screwed it up so badly and i don't believe that they should interfere the bureaucrats have made some dumb decisions based on the funding that's been left. And, uh, you know, I truly believe it should not be a political decision. I, I really and truly do. I think we need to fix the system big time. Oh, yeah, but that, that sadly, I agree with you, Michelle, but sadly that's up to the politicians ultimately. And mind you, we the voter. Uh, yeah, yeah, he says, yeah. I'm not going to vote for you. We, we yeah. have this monopoly public health care system, which is foolish. You have systems around the world that are so much better and less expensive and more successful that integrate private sector with public sector. And by the way, exactly. we have private sector in Canada. Let's not delude ourselves. Mm-hmm. And they work better. And, but mind you, it's still, it's not two-tier. It is still a single-payer system. But the politicians, and shame on all of them, because all political parties have been complicit in this, you know, to not want to change and duping people. And we always hear, oh, I know I've had so many debates over the years with union people. Of course, the unions have a monopoly in the health care system. That's why they love it to death. But uh, and they all go, oh, U.S. health care. No, U.S. stinks. And and the fact that your operation, Hector, was going to cost so much more in the U.S., which is the, the thing to avoid on the planet in terms of their health care system, you know, is, is just, it just demonstrates that. Let, let, me ask, let me ask Hector this question. When did you give up on Ontario? When did it become apparent to you that you weren't going to get the care that you needed? When? Uh, a couple of weeks ago when it was uh, abundantly apparent that OHIP had dug their heels in, they were hiring a second expert witness to testify against me. What? And... And the letter, the letter that, that the representative, the doctor that represented OHIP suggested to me that I should get from an Ontario physician to support Dr. Martin's letter from Kentucky that I am not stage four. I went and got, and then he disputed it and said, <gasps> I, I mean, they just, they just throw all these roadblocks in front of you. It's so rigged. So without, without, rigged. without Germany being available to you, I'd be a dead man. Oh, my God. Hector, I'm crying here. Roy, let's make a difference here. This is ridiculous. They should be helping Hector. And he is a great politician. Well, you know, people, people, people cared and people stepped up with a GoFundMe effort. And, then, and that, that deserves to be said because so many people decided they were going to help. Heck, no, now you're, so, so when are you going to Germany? Tell us when that's going to happen. 
Uh, the date has been changed. I, I was to leave tomorrow. Um, mm-hmm. There's a wrap-up of um, a national celebration, which is um, uh, a celebration throughout Germany, which is the uh, the reuni- reunification day um, mm-hmm. to celebrate East and West Germany coming back together. So it's been put off one week at the, at the suggestion of the surgeon, so I leave a week tomorrow. Okay. Oh, and how great. long will you be in Germany? How quickly does the surgery take place after you get there? I'll be gone a little over three weeks in total. Uh, which includes recovery time, I, uh, I get the actual surgery a week from this coming Thursday. So as you're talking on, to us now, after everything that you've been through, the conversations you've had on the air with us and, and our listeners have heard, how do you feel now, Hector, having this, it's not an opportunity, it's a right, but you had to, you had to struggle to find the right. You didn't get any help from, from anybody in, in the Ontario government saying, by the way, there's a surgeon in Germany. Um, how do you feel now? Uh, I, I've used the word before. I, I feel betrayed and abandoned my, by my own government, <laughs> as, I'm, as I'm sure many other Ontarians do. Absolutely. There's, and there's boy, so they many can people. sure find money for what they want, can't they? Yes, they sure can. Oh, yeah. Yes, they can. Well, and, moving and, and they piddle away so very much of it. And, you know, Roy, you said we were changing the, you know, like turning the page on the last topic, but... As long as money is blown on even something as seemingly minimal as moving expenses, there isn't money for the important stuff. Well, exactly. And it's time we realize that. Exactly. It, it's our fault. And they can say, well, wait a minute, one's a provincial, one's a federal responsibility, there's only one taxpayer. You're absolutely right. Only I one mean, taxpayer. Look, look, at, look at, we, we allow our politicians to educate our children, for gosh sakes. Yeah. It's our fault. We've yeah. let them loose. Well, Hector, let's have a revolution. You well, I'm all for that. Point of view, is, as here, soon as here. you let the unions run government, we were all doomed. What we're going to do is we're going to talk to, uh, to Hector while you're there. We'll try to get in touch with you while you're there, if you can talk to us while you're there. And then we'll definitely have, um, have a, a party when you get back. I'll be there. I'll be there. My phone will be on. You have, uh, you have friends across this country and beyond the boundaries of this country, the borders of this country, Hack. All the very best to you. And um, you're, you're, you're fighting a magnificent fight. And yeah. you're giving other people the will to fight. And you're giving other people hope because you just, you just, you, you weren't willing to accept what they put on your plate. So we all owe you a, a vote of thanks. My friend, oh. thank you all the very best. Yeah. We're, we're going to stay and in All touch. the best, Hector. Yes. Thank you. The, the we'll fight's long from over. You. When I come back and show them how it's done, we're going to fix the problem. One Hector, way or another. On, Sounds like a plan to me. I'll be there. I'm going to be there for you. Fight thank all the you. way. Beauties, thank you very much. Heck, we'll stay in touch, obviously, and we will have that party, and we will make the difference. You're listening to The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML. We'll wrap up today's program with um, Sabah Ahmed. She's the president of the Republican Muslim Coalition. She was last on the air with us after the uh, Republican convention. And we asked Ms. Ahmed about her interest in and uh, determination, or at least, uh, yeah, she made the determination to vote for Donald Trump for president of the United States. Ms. Ahmed, good to have you back on the program. Sure. Thanks for having me. It's going to be a massive audience, 111 million people just in the United States, 9 o'clock on, on Monday night. 
do you have any sense of, uh, and, and much has been said and much has been speculated, do you have any sense of what kind of uh, response there is, uh, what kind of reaction there is to Donald Trump going forward among the Muslim population in the U.S.? I think Donald Trump is gaining momentum all across the board, uh, even within the Muslim community. There's quite a few, few people who are turning around. He has toned down his anti-Muslim rhetoric, so that's a good sign. And I know several Muslims are involved at the very high level with this campaign. So I think that's only a good thing for him. And we're really looking forward to the debate on Monday and look forward to seeing how he'll be presenting all of us. Now, you had the uh, you had the opportunity to meet with Donald Trump and with um, Mike Pence, did you not, at the during the convention? Yes, briefly. Was there anything in particular that Mr. Trump said or suggested that made you feel like you could trust him with your vote? Did you have that? Were you committed to Donald Trump prior to the convention, yes. or was it meeting with him that made the difference? No, I think we have. We are going to be supporting the Republican nominee. And I think specifically Donald Trump has the right intentions. He comes across as a good, strong leader. And we're really looking forward to how he'll be making America great again for everyone. Uh, Why not Hillary Clinton? Why doesn't she appeal to you? Well, because she's going to be continuing the same uh, Democratic policies that Obama administration has. And I don't think that has helped our country one bit, especially in the foreign policy realm. They've actually hurt America a lot in the last several years by the weak leadership displayed at the White House. And I don't see Hillary Clinton changing any of that. Do you have concerns at all about Mr. Trump's um, repeated concerns about allowing significant numbers of Syrian refugees to enter the United States? I think Mr. Obama has said 110,000 for the next calendar year. Donald Trump and Mike Pence have said that they challenge that. What's your thinking on that? I think it's more important to resettle refugees from Syria around their neighboring Arab nations. I think they can assimilate much faster and adjust to new life there. It's giving them a life of poverty by bringing them here to the United States and putting them on uh, federal government assistance for life. It's not the right solution, and I do support Donald Trump on his policies. I think Obama administration is showing very weak leadership by, you know, first drawing red lines and just watching as uh, 400,000-plus people got murdered in Syria in the last several years, and they did absolutely nothing. And now offering to bring a few of them over here does not display their humanitarian side at all. So your feeling is that uh, the president of the United States, the current president, Mr. Obama, had an opportunity to make a difference in Syria, promised that he would with the red line, and then he he did not follow through on that. So is it your sense that he he created some of the problem that exists today? Exactly. I mean, you know, I don't want to say that Obama created ISIS, but he left a big vacuum in Iraq by pulling out without, with no plans of how he will stabilize the country. And Hillary Clinton was specifically involved with the Libya invasion, which toppled Gaddafi. So now Libya is a fatal state as well, and it's the home ground for ISIS. So I just feel like, you know, the Clinton administration wouldn't be any more different than Obama, and it'll probably make Middle East much more destabilized. There's a a lot of unrest in the United States now. We've seen the racial tensions, um, particularly in Charlotte over the last week. State of emergency declared a couple of days ago. We've seen the rioting that's taken place in other cities. Um, How are you perceived and how are you treated as a Muslim woman generally when you're out in 
doing whatever you're doing on a daily basis, uh, how are you treated by the average American? Are you treated with respect? Are you treated with a degree of resentment? What do you encounter? Always with respect. I mean, I feel as an American, I mean, wherever I go, I don't feel any discrimination. I mean, yes, there are hate crimes that are occurring across the United States against various members of our community. But on a, for me, personally, I don't think I've experienced it. And, I mean, right now I'm visiting Florida and having a great time here, and I haven't had to deal with that. And I just hope that, you know, America will always remain a place for all states and all people. So no uh, racism concerns, no bigotry concerns for Donald Trump, and you would welcome his election to uh, to the presidency. You're expecting it. I think he is going to be a president for all Americans, irrespective of religion, race. And I think we don't need to be dividing ourselves. And I think we all just need to come together and support a strong president. And he can be a great president for Muslims and minorities alike. And your feeling is that 11% number that's been suggested, uh, as far as Muslims voting for Trump is concerned, do you think that number may be low? I think that's going to be going higher as we move towards the general election. I'm actually seeing quite a bit of support within the community. He, Donald Trump actually has indicated that he'd be willing to visit a mosque in one of the key electoral states. And I think that's going to send a positive message as well. And we're working with his campaign to hopefully make that happen before the campaign ends. All right, Ms. Ahmed, thank you very much for taking the time. Or good talking to you again. Sure, thank you for your time. Perhaps we can talk after November the 8th. Sounds good. Thank you. Bye-bye. Sabah Ahmed, president of the Republican Muslim Coalition. The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML.